0: Welcome to the European Greens podcast, where we talk about the way forward to a greener and fairer Europe together with green leaders and activists. The European Greens are a European political party that brings together national parties sharing the same green values like democracy, feminism, support of LGBTQ, and climate action. Listen wherever you get your podcasts,
1: and together, let's green our future. Hi there, listeners, I'm Sarah, and you're listening to a new episode of The Green Talking Heads. This is the second part of the focus episode on the Digital Service Act. In part one, we had a very insightful conversation with Green MEP Alexandra Gies, and as always, as we like to have different perspectives on topics that we explore. um, For part two of the episode, we invited Jan Penfrat to be our guest for today. Jan is a Senior Policy Advisor for EDRI, which is the European Digital Rights uh, an Association of Civil and Human Rights Organizations from across Europe that he will tell us more about. Jan has a background in freelance reporting on topics such as technology, internet regulation, IT security and open source software. He started his career as a policy consultant and as part of his role at EDRI, he's in charge of platform regulation, access to data, online disinformation, surveillance and telecommunications. So in today's episode, we discussed the context around the Digital Service Act and the fine line between giving power back to the users, but also protecting them in many aspects, the resistance against the DSA coming from different organizations, member states, lobbyists, and so on, and also the limitations of the DSA as it stands today. Enjoy the episode. Jan, thank you so much for being part of the Green Talking Heads for this episode. Thanks for having me. So to get started, maybe it would be great if you could just tell us a little bit more about your work within Edri. Yes, I'm part of
0: uh, Edri's policy team. Uh, We're a team of six. Uh, at the moment, uh, working on all kinds of different uh, digital rights-related topics. ADRI is the network of uh, European digital rights organisations. We have about 45 member organisations across the continent, and um, and uh, represent their views, their expert views uh, in in Brussels towards the EU institutions.
1: We actually recorded an episode uh, before this one with MEP Alexandra Gies, where we talked about uh, in details about the DSA and her point of view when it comes to all of this. But it would be super if you could also bring your contextualization around this. Uh, so, what is the DSA? What's the idea around having a constitution for the internet, sort of? If you could give us some insights uh, into what exactly also um, would it mean for online platforms and for and for citizens?
0: We're a little bit hesitant to use the word constitution for the internet because it's a constitution is a big word, and the DSA is a big law. But you know, I. Uh, maybe there are limitations as to how far the DSA can go and maybe also should go. Um, just to say that the, the the goal of the DSA is to uh, create additional obligations on online platforms or um, you know, more broadly said, online intermediaries. So those companies who sit in between users or in between users and um, and companies, uh, and uh, and to uh, regulate how these uh, intermediaries or platforms uh, have to deal with um, the stuff that users upload um, and the stuff that other. Uh, companies uh, provide and what are the responsibilities of an intermediary or an online platform when they host this kind of content? What happens if uh, content is potentially illegal? Uh, Who's responsible for taking it down or for assessing whether or not it's illegal under which jurisdiction and so on and so forth? And in addition, um, legislators in in the EU have figured that they, they can use this law to go a little bit further than just tackling this liability question uh, for user content and uh, set a number of other standards and rules for how online platforms should behave um, in order to minimize the risks that potentially emanate um, from, those, uh, from those platforms. And uh, you know, if you look at social media platforms in particular, such as Facebook and Twitter, um, you see that the way that they distribute and promote or also hide certain types of content uh, does create problems in in many situations and is certainly very opaque. Uh, And uh, I think that's one of the things that the DSA can and, and, and should be tackling.
1: I think uh, one of the aspects of the DSA that's really important um, is is around, you know, giving the power back to the users, uh, which I think a lot of citizens still don't really know um, about or how to approach. And so, you know, around like lowering the standards for online users to introduce legal claims, for example, and sort of or at least start to potentially fight back against um, some of the online giants demanding clear answers uh, for their content being deleted for example could you please provide a little bit more explanation on on these specific parts for our listeners to better understand maybe
0: Yeah, empowering users is is something that's incredibly useful um, and and something that DSA can and should be be trying to achieve. Um, But I also want to point out that there is a fine line between um, giving power back to users to determine that for themselves um, how they want to use um, online tools and and what kind of content they want to be exposed to or interact with, but at the same time not overburden the individual with choices to be made um, and therefore making it in effect empower possible to actually take a real choice and a good example are uh, cookie banners or consent banners, as they are called, so pop-up windows that you know make our online lives really horrible because they um, they they basically block us whenever we go on a website, and then we need to make like super complicated choices about which one we want to agree to and not agree to, and cookies and so on. Um, so this is one of the, I think the the negative examples we could keep in mind where where the legislator tried to give power to 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 users, but then the industry basically destroyed the functioning of that system by overburden users with choices that they cannot reasonably um, understand and comprehend and make a good choice uh, around it. Um, We also call this dark patterns, Um, so the the deliberate misleading of users to click, okay, yes, I want this, even though in reality people would probably rather not uh, accept cookies. And and I think this is the fine line that the DSA needs to tread um, to find a good balance, and on the one hand, yes, give power to users where we can reasonably expect them to exert and, and use this power, but also protect them from um, uh, from abuse uh, by by online companies um, in cases where we cannot expect uh, every individual user to take an informed decision on these kind of things.
1: And so, I, I think in terms of uh, abuse, actually, and, and maybe an area where there's a need for more protection as well, uh, would be advertising surveillance. And so, that's also something that we that we discussed um, with MEP Alexandra Gies last time, who provided us with you know some really good context around that. Uh, and what would you think would need to be implemented in terms of, like, you know, policy that would be most efficient around specifically advertising surveillance?
0: Uh, for um, for advertising, um, we. From Adri's side, we very much support the position that Alexander Geze has formulated. Um, There is no, like the way the advertising system online works today, there is no way that an average user can possibly comprehend and make make an informed choice about whether or not they wanna be tracked for advertising. Just because the tracking system behind it, the way that personal data is then collected and shared um, and and repackaged and profiled um, is, is so complicated and involves so many different parts that most people have never heard of. Um, that this is not realistically possible. And I think it's important to point out that this is also where we hit the limits of what GDPR, you know, the big data protection rules that the EU has implemented a few years back, has its limits. As 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 much as we like GDPR in terms of protecting people's data, um, when it comes to online advertising, there is. There is only so much that the GDPR can protect us uh, because uh, it is so difficult to, uh, as for user to uh, to really understand what's going on in, in terms of data use for advertising in the background. And so what we've been advocating for is that the DSA should be uh, literally banning, outlawing uh, this very, very... Um, pervasive surveillance uh, uh, practice um, that is really only there uh, for spying on people in order to show them targeted messages. And I say targeted messages because it's much more than just commercial advertising. It's not only about whether a shoe company can show you a specific shoe ad um, or a car company can promote their latest model. It's about anybody who has money can being able to push any type of political or issue-based message to a pre-selected, targeted audience, uh, abusing, uh, using their vulnerabilities or the the specific sensitivities of that audience um, against them, basically. Um, And that leads to uh, more division in society. It leads to, uh, to manipulation uh, at a very large scale. I think this is really something we know now um, after lots of re- research that has been done. Um, and this, this kind of system shouldn't exist. Um, again, this is not a position against online advertising. Online advertising is an important part of the way um, the web is financed today. But you can perfectly well do online advertising without spying on everybody all of the time.
1: So so one aspect that I also wanted to uh, touch on and discuss is around the pushback and the resistance because you know obviously I think for the both of us it sounds very clear the step that could be implemented to protect um, users. Uh, however, in, in a panel discussion that you that you were part of of the European Internet Forum that took place in 2020 actually, so you talked about uh, the pushback of course from you know uh, massive online platforms um, that would potentially be impacted by the DSA. Um, who have pushed back already, and that was to be expected. There may be a pushback that is a bit less expected, is from some member states, you know, wanting to, uh, as you mentioned, preserve legacy business models. And so if you could tell us a bit more about, you know, where uh, and why is this resistance there? Where is it coming from?
0: That's a really good question. There hasn't been so much changed since 2020, actually, there's the same people, the same organizations and businesses um, pushing back uh, against these proposals, um, mostly with the same arguments. Um, They're trying to protect their legacy business model. They're trying to protect um, the way that that they've been doing advertising since ever. Um, Parts of this resistance is orchestrated and also co-financed by the big tech industry itself. Um, That's really disappointing to see um, because they're basically hiding behind uh, other industries um, and you know pretending to you know that this the message comes from someone else, but in reality, um, behind it you'll find big tech. Um, so that happens often, but surprisingly, there are also some other industries who've been jumping on this uh, um, on this wagon and kind of defending defending surveillance advertising, saying that they can't live without it. And the only good explanation that I have for that really is that surveillance advertising has been around for. What now? Fifteen years, maybe you know, twenty. When you go back to the very beginnings of it, but I would rather say fifteen years, and um, and since then, a lot of the the marketing folks um, that work in advert, like in advertising companies and other companies, um, they have known nothing else. And so, whole marketing careers have been built on the premise that was sold to us by big tech that more data means better advertising, um, and. This premise is just not true, um, and you know the the only ones who've been really, really benefiting from this system are the you know are the big data brokers, those with a lot of access to a lot of personal data, so Google, Facebook, other big data brokers. Um, while for other companies, what you're seeing is that with every um, ad euro that is spent on the internet, fifty uh, percent of that goes into the pockets of Facebook and Google. Um, so those are those are tech middlemen who are sucking off the the, the, the resources um, that are spent on advertising that should actually go to, to companies, to publishers, for example, who show the advertising in the end, uh, right? But instead, uh, much of that money is lost on the way. Um, and that's an in, that's incredibly inefficient system. Um, so I, I, I don't really see uh, why, why these industries are still sticking to it other than they having been so much used to it that it's difficult to see an alternative reality.
1: Another question would be around the potential limitation of, of the DSA. Of course, it's not going to solve every and each uh, thing that would need to be tackled when it comes to online safety and such and digital rights. So what would you see right now as being the limitations of, of the DSA? What do you think Like are the aspects for which we will need to go further in terms of creating a safer Internet and, and holding online platforms accountable as well?
0: I see two big limitations. The first limitation is something that it's really nobody's fault. Um, I think it um, comes from the origins of where the DSA proposal comes from, and that is the scope. Um, At the moment, the DSA, or not at the moment, the DSA will um, uh, only apply to online intermediaries. And many of the provisions and of the obligations will only apply to online platforms, which is a subgroup of online intermediaries. Um, And so every company um, that runs a website out there um, and that may show you advertising, for example, um, that does not fall under the definition of an online platform or an online intermediary will not be covered by any of that uh, at all. And so I think this is one of the major limitations of the DSA, which may or may not be tackled down the road, maybe by a different law. Uh, We'll see how how this can go. that's also actually a quite a good argument for my, you know, for explaining my surprise about why some people are still so resistant to having strong advertising regulation, in the DSA, because it doesn't actually even regulate the whole advertising industry. It would only regulate this very tiny bit of online platforms. Um, all of the publishers and you know the, the the news websites out there, they would all not fall under that, uh, under the, under those rules. Um, and I think the second limitation is that there wasn't apparently um, uh, both in the Council and in the European Parliament, there wasn't enough courage to also go after uh, after the the algorithmic amplification um, system that is used by many social media platforms, and which in our view is responsible for the amplification uh, and uh, of, of highly problematic online content, often content that may be harmful for people and um, a lot of the debate around uh, this kind of content has been um, uh, has been focusing on how to delete it um, as quickly as possible whereas we would have hoped uh, to shift the debate towards uh, towards asking who is deciding which content is promoted and which content is is being hidden Um, and and who has? which kind of interests do these parties have now what we're seeing at the moment is that online platforms do this very much by themselves um, and their uh, commercial interest is of course to make people stick to their screens for as long as possible stay on the platform see as many ads as possible click on as many stuff as possible because that means engagement means collecting more personal data means more money for the platforms and that incentive structure makes it impossible for us to use those platforms for anything well useful really (laughs) i have to say so everybody who believes that we can use facebook or twitter for a healthy public debate or political campaigning No, not going to work because those platforms have never been conceived that way. They haven't been built for that purpose. They've been built for an entirely different purpose, which is keeping people sticking to the screens, show them as many ads as possible. Um, And as long as this this difference is there, uh, we're not going to be able to use this infrastructure for uh, what we need it for. For example, having a healthy public debate. And so, this I think is a limitation in the DSA that we can't, we won't be able to tackle this this time around. Um, obviously, I hope that if, in a few years, maybe we'll realize um, that we have um, looked at this problem too narrowly. Um, and that, for example, giving people more choice in how content is being recommended to them um, is an important aspect, and that maybe we can add this later on uh, to regulation
1: and and so just i would like to to come back a little bit where you mentioned uh, uh the algorithm as well uh what would it look like to have an ethical algorithm basically and uh, there there was also a lot of conversations around the algorithm being sexist and racist and you know homophobic and all of the things so what would it look like to have an ethical algorithm
0: yeah that's a really good question it's a, it's a very tricky one because um See, I, d- I don't believe that there is one kind of perfect algorithm that is, that is de-biased and, and, and non-sexist and non-racist. And so on. I don't think that that one algorithm exists. Um, I believe that there needs to be a diversity of different algorithms, recommendation systems and online platforms that uh, work according to different rules, because what what we believe is that the the diversity of online tools that we use needs to reflect the diversity that we have in our societies. It's a, for us, it's a hideous idea that it would be possible or a good idea to assemble 3 billion different people who live under different cultural norms and different languages and with different backgrounds and preferences in different jurisdictions to kind of put them all onto one global platform that is then governed by venture capitalists based in Silicon Valley. This is just such an outrageous idea that I I can't even say why we did this in the first place. So because we're all different um, uh, on this this earth, I think it's just a reasonable demand to say, let's have the internet reflect this diversity. Let's make sure there is as many different platforms as we need um, and as many different algorithms as we need for people to be able to choose um, the ones that fits their purpose and their needs best. And that kind of choice um, and and offer is something that would be incredibly uh, powerful for people to be better protected on the internet. If someone is happy to, you know, to have very, very, violent online debates with people sure you know go for it go to a platform where where this is allowed if you want more of a safe place um, with debates focused around politics where you can have like you know in-depth discussions go to an online community that allows that and obviously um, the idea is not to break down people into silos and make it impossible for them to communicate. This is not what the internet is about. You know, we still want to connect people, which is why at A3 we've been from very early on advocating for more interoperability, which is a technical term to say, the different systems and communities need still to be compatible with each other, that those who want to connect with each other across communities, they can still do that. But you wouldn't be automatically exposed to that kind of content from other communities, which you don't potentially feel comfortable with just because a an ad-driven algorithm told you that this is the content you have to see now. Um, and I think you know, shifting away the online ecosystem from this ad-driven centralized mega platforms and come back to a more human-scale, decentralized version of the internet. That is really the long-term goal um, that we're pursuing at ADRI. The DSA, in combination with the DMA, is a first step in that direction. Um, Again, it's not not the full solution. It's not the full picture yet, Um, but it's at least the first step.
1: One of the last questions that I would want to ask you is what, in your point of view, would be the best and the worst case scenario, you know, in terms of online platforms, accountability, and digital rights at large that we could uh, that we could look up for? And let's start with the worst that we finish with the best.
0: I think the worst case scenario um, for for how the internet could you know could develop um, also as a as a reaction to the regulation that we're seeing now is that online companies, Continue to um, make our lives miserable by adding additional layers of friction and of annoying pop-up banners. Banners, arguing that this is this is what what's required to comply with the new regulations. Um, I think that would really be a, a bad outcome. Um, also, because um, if if you make those those frictions and those pop-up banners and other obligations. If you make this a requirement for new and smaller players as well, then many smaller players they won't even start to be on the market because they think they think you know that the, the obligations are so impossible to fulfill um, that it's not it's not worthwhile to come up with a new social media platform at all. Um, so it's a good sign to see that the DSA tries to make to differentiate between obligations for smaller platforms versus very large platforms. I think that's a good thing, um, but we really need to be careful to not kind of um, uh, make it impossible for newcomers, um, but you know the worst case could you know could be even even worse if the Commission um, or the EU comes up with more um, problematic legislation down the road, including legislation that breaks end-to-end encryption, people's privacy, um, legislation that uh, uh, that cements the power of the biggest tech companies rather than breaking it up. Uh, and and all of this is you know is still possible and and obviously from from an AG perspective we fight against that as much as we can um, with all our members in uh, across across Europe uh, but we're not the only ones lobbying around here right um, so there's a lot of pressure to come up with legislation that limits the rights that people have when they go online and that exposes them to additional risks um, and and so there's a lot of worst case that could could be happening. But I also want to say something positive, of course, um, because it's not all bad, because it could also turn out that the combination of DSA and DMA, if they're passed strong enough uh, with the provisions that we have seen proposed mostly by the European Parliament, but some also from the council, um, we may also see that the power that the biggest platforms have today is actually shrinking. And that over time, we will see competitors coming up, we will see more community projects coming up that are building online tools for people rather than for ad profit. um, and, you know, if those are then also interoperable with each other and allow people to move in between communities, give them more flexibility, combine them in different ways, um, we can have a whole different online environment that allows for for people to move and to use tools in, in their interest rather than in, 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 in the interest of corporations. And this is really something that we'd be hoping for um, for the future. But I think for this to really happen, we'll need a couple of more layers of regulation maybe we'll need a breakup of big tech companies i don't know um i think that is for for competition lawyers to to answer as a question but definitely a, a longer road to go um but we're ready to you know we're in this for the for the long term so i'm looking forward to to fighting more fights
1: Just a quick ask, uh, if you could define the the, the DMA that you mentioned a few times, which I know it comes sort of like complementary to the DSA, just for our listeners to know the reference.
0: Yeah, so the DMA is the Digital Markets Act which has been proposed alongside the Digital Services Act and the DMA really focuses on the behavior of what is called the gatekeeping company so the biggest of the biggest, you know, Google, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple um those companies what are they allowed to do, what are they not allowed to do um which kind of behavior of these companies uh constitutes an abuse of their dominant position, um, and I think this is a very important law to complement what the DSI is trying to do.
1: And as a last thing, just maybe if there's anything um, that we could look forward to, that Edry or yourself are working on, as uh, something that you want to promote, let our listeners know about, uh, now would be the time.
0: The next big things that we're working on is, you know, they're focusing on uh, the protection of people against biometric mass surveillance, uh, which is a topic that has been uh, following us around for a while. Um, we're also heavily working on the regulation of artificial intelligence. So how can AI algorithms um, define our lives? Where, How can we defend ourselves if we're judged, you know, uh, uh, wrongly by, by an algorithm uh, using artificial intelligence? These are really things to watch out for because this is also areas in which the EU wants to wants to legislate Um, and so have you know that that has potentially um, tremendous effects on on people's lives Uh, if you want to reach out to adri don't hesitate to go to adri.org on our website you'll find email addresses telephone numbers uh, to to get in touch Um, there's always a possibility to donate to our work and support it that way Um, we're at the moment 14 people based in brussels but this is not nearly as many as big tech companies have Uh, if you take like lobby offices from Google or Facebook or similar—they um, have all, you know, multiple times the staff that we have. So um, every contribution is highly welcome. Um, and if you want to be active yourself, we have 45 member organizations. Many of them work with volunteers. Please check out the adri members um, that are um, based in your country, um, and that's always always much appreciated.
1: Amazing! Thanks so much, Jan. Thanks for your time.
0: Sure, absolutely. Thanks for your questions.
1: Thanks a lot for listening to another episode of The Green Socking Heads on the Digital Services Act. It was really interesting to have Jens clear-cut answers on this topic and how he started by sharing how his organization is a bit hesitant to call the GSA the so-called Constitution for the Internet as you know he then laid uh, what he felt were the limitations of the dsa and what would need to be invested further when we talk about creating a safer online world as well as holding uh, the big platforms accountable so make sure to have a look at edry's website and do keep an eye on all the projects they are active on Plus, if you can, donate and spread the word to support the very important work they do. And also, of course, don't forget to follow the European Greens on all social media and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platforms. Tell your friends, tell your colleagues. And thanks again for listening. Stay tuned for the upcoming episodes of The Green Talking Heads.